0: Hey, this is Dave Pryor. Welcome to Leading Agile Sound Notes. It's morning. I've got Mike Kotmeyer. He's taken time out of his very busy day, but it's morning. So that means that Mike, who gets up at a ridiculously early hour, has already just finished a whole bunch of internal calls. That's how you start
1: your day every day, right? It's how I start my day every day. you got it.
0: So where we're, it used to be this thing where you had this peaceful relaxing, kind of take the bath, <laughs> have the ideas morning. now you like wake up and you just jack right into the all the stuff.
1: Well well yeah, right I mean we, we, I lead a distributed team. you know we've got about 65 people that are that are all over the place and so the only times that we can actually all get together on the phone, or in the morning, right before we start our days. And even even then, sometimes it's pretty tough. And so, yeah, I start my call off or my day off in the morning with a call. Off. My leadership team at seven. And then we actually have an all hands call. I know you know this, but the people who are listening, don't know it. We have an all hands call at 730. It's optional where we basically call operations and intelligence where we basically talk about what's going on. That day, what's important to stay focused on, and then uh, that gets recorded and posted internally uh, in case anybody wants to hear it and they they couldn't make the the 730. And so that happens every day. Yeah. So the first hour, hour and a half of my day um, is spent kind of synchronizing. Okay. And then, uh, then the day kind of launches into any number of you know meetings with clients, or meetings with the team, or meetings with my leadership team, or what have you.
0: Now, yeah. before we get into the topic, I just this is a curiosity. I have. So, if I okay. you're doing this call at seven thirty, which is six thirty my time, so I listen to the recordings later. But for you yeah. to get done those calls at around eight thirty or you know your time or whatever, how long do you have to have like to recover before you're able to actually go do stuff? Because that's a lot of interaction, tension, angst, you know, all that stuff all right away in the morning. It's like your brain's breakfast. Do you have yeah, to give yourself recovery time yeah, after th- that?
1: No, I mean, there's just, I mean, it just all depends upon what's going on. I mean, you know, that's, that's the thing is like, you know, when you're, when you're you're running a company that's going as fast as we're going, yeah. Um, you just have to you have to be able to mentally pivot. you know? Okay. So what'll happen sometimes is I'll I can do that for days and days and days and days on end. Yeah. And then I'll get to the point where I'm just like tired I don't want to talk to anybody for a little while. <laughs> okay. Yesterday was kind of one of those days for me. I was on the I was on the road for like ten days and doing calls and all those things and you know, I just went out and had a two martini lunch and just didn't do anything the rest of the day. All right. <laughs> so, well, you know. it's, yeah. it's all you about self care. So, <laughs> there
0: you go. <laughs> okay, cool. All right, thank you. So yeah. today we're going to sure. talk about um, something that we, we do these internal calls for the folks who aren't familiar. On Tuesday nights, there's calls, which
2: mm-hmm.
0: I'm going to describe it as basically the leadership of Leading Agile trying to help the people that work at Leading Agile understand what's inside their brains so that when they're out there, yeah. they're thinking along the same same line. So it's, it's kind of a baselining, but also deepening and understanding and internalizing and understanding of some of the core values and practices of the company. Is that... Fair yeah, well,
1: it's like the morning, the morning calls that you were just alluding to. I mean, we hit all kinds of different operational things. So, so we get on these calls every morning and we're talking about what's the issue of the day and we're getting feedback and, you know, understanding, you know, how the accounts are running and, you know, what needs to happen and all those kinds of things. Well, inevitably, different themes come out of that. And what we'll find is that, you know, maybe we've learned something new or we're learning how to talk about something in a new way. And we have kind of a standing um, Tuesday evening call, which I, I try to really prioritize for and we'll just get on the call and anybody who wants to dial in and ask questions, um, they, can, they can hear it live. Um, pretty much we have a protocol of anything that we do that's kind of a group meeting we record and then we post it internally to Slack and then anybody that wants to uh, listen in after the fact is, is more than welcome to, to listen in. But yeah, so I think what you wanted to talk about today was um, was a, one of the topics that we, we did a couple weeks ago, right?
0: Yeah, I wanted to talk about the trust influence loop, which I will include a yeah. graphic of so folks can see it. But this was one of the most impactful conversations um, that I've I've been a part of at the company. So I was hoping you can kind of walk through what that is um, and maybe step by step through it. And if it's okay, I'll just ask questions along the way. Is that all right?
1: Yeah, yeah, sure. So So let's Let's just kind of generally talk through the model. Um, okay. So I can't take I can't take credit for this model. This is actually something that Dennis Dennis came up with, and uh, he sat down with me one day and was just kind of sharing with me something that that he was thinking about. And we were we were taking a lot of the Seven Habits stuff, and we were taking some of um, uh, Covey's speed, speed of Trust. Yeah. We were Dennis and I were reading different books about the mechanics of influence and the mechanics of trust building. And so so even though even Dennis came up with this, it's the synthesis of a lot of um, thinking around okay. stuff. And so so for, for, as you guys are listening to this, you'll see the graphic that, that Dave's going to put up. But on the right-hand side, if you imagine like a, like a figure eight um, or an infinity loop sitting on its side, and on the right-hand side is the influence loop, and on the left-hand side is the trust loop. And the way that we've been talking about it is that in order to influence somebody, you have to have access to them, okay? So at some point in time, whether that be via something a post on social media or whether it be you know, an introduction or um, you know, somebody responds to a call of action through marketing or something like that, you know, somebody will inevitably call us, right? And, and regardless of what level they're at in the organization or what have you, um, leading Agile to gain some access. Okay, and when once you have access, right, if you want to try to influence somebody, it's very much like a Stephen Covey, seek first to understand, then to be understood. And so so access is the first step on the influence loop. And then we talk about uh, establishing empathy for the person. And so what we want to try to do is you want to try to um, ask a lot of really solid questions, get to the root of the problem get to the point where we can echo back the problem to them in a uh, in a way that, that like deeply resonates. The whole goal of the empathy step in the influence loop is to really get to the point where you understand, right? You, you can demonstrate empathy for the person you're talking to. And then and then the next step after that is is to have a point of view. And what, what's interesting is, is that anybody who's been following our stuff for a long time knows that Leading Agile has a pretty strong point of view about how to orchestrate transformation. And and it's something that we're really putting a ton of energy into developing and codifying and things like that. But the fascinating thing about having a point of view is if the point of view doesn't resonate with the person that you're talking to, then that point of view is going to fall on deaf ears. And so, so once you have access and then you understand the problem, the, the trick is, is to communicate your point of view in a way that resonates with the person that you're speaking with. So like when I early read the, the, the Stephen Covey stuff and the seek first to understand, then to be understood, it wasn't like listen to the other person talk and then you get to talk. right? It's to listen to the other person talk and then be able to communicate what you have to say in a way that creates shared understanding. OK, and the, the interesting thing is if you can communicate your point of view in a way that the other person can hear you, right, you'll create that shared understanding and oftentimes you'll create safety. OK, so that's the that's the influence, right? So if I want to influence somebody. I have to have access to them. I have to understand them. I have to deeply listen. I have to be aware um, intuitively kind of the nature of their problem have to be able to echo it back in a way that they can understand. Um, if, if I want to influence them, I, I need to have a point of view on how to help them. So I have to be able to communicate that point of view in a way that's resonant. And if I'm able to, to do those first three things, chances are, I'm going to create safety for them. And if I create safety, then that's going to result in mm. me having had the ability to influence
0: them okay so can now Does that make sense yes yeah, so i want to ask yeah. you lots of questions now um yeah shoot. thank you for walking that i didn't want to interrupt while you were going through it so that's only half of it though I, I know i know those, but i just this now. is yeah. so, there's some things that i want to dig into a little bit to make sure that yeah. that it's all kind of shown up so when you talked yeah. about access on the call the other night we talked about um, mm-hmm. the idea of you're invited in so mm-hmm. they welcome you into their home But they also have to invite you to actually provide the service, like the coaching. So another consultant Mm -hmm. that I talked to from outside our company described it as there's the economic invitation, and then there's the actual Mm -hmm. invitation from the people that want the help. So part Mm -hmm. of getting through this is not just it's getting in the door, but then enticing them to say, please show me how to do this, right?
1: Well... Well, yeah, right. So, so the, the influence loop, it, it, it's like it's hard to communicate anything in a model that doesn't come across as linear, right? So, so I, I tend to communicate in circles a lot. It's part of, part of the reason why this is it's in circles, right? It's all continuous flow. And so, like, if somebody thinks that they need help doing Agile and they hit our website, right, the job of our website. So at the point they hit our website, they, they in effect, give us access to them right? Because they've chosen to come to our website okay. or they've chosen to open a marketing email or they've chosen to click on something on, a, uh, on Twitter or something like that. And then once, once we have access, even if it's indirect, then what we have to do is we have to demonstrate empathy. Okay. Right? And so when it's, when it's in a pre-sales kind of or, a, or a, they're hitting our website or they're reading a blog post, we have to be able to demonstrate empathy through that. And then we have to communicate a point of view that resonates. And over time, the whole the whole social interaction, the whole web interaction will create safety. If then they decide to come hear us talk at a conference and we reinforce the empathy point of view uh, safety loop, right? They've given us access. They've shown up at a conference. We, we go through that loop again. And then they pick up the phone and they call and they go through the loop again. And then we walk into the to the executive's office, and we go through the loop again. And so this is then, very Glen, Gary, Glenn yeah.
0: Ross. you it's the always be closing. Oh, I mean this this loop no, never no, stops. I mean, j- no, in the no, sense it's, that it's, it's not like that. you're always building trust. You never this, stop this building trust. This
1: isn't about this isn't about closing or sales. It's about creating safety.
0: Well, always and be so, creating safety is what I meant. It's it's yeah, not it's, like a one and done yeah, thing. You the, just do it all the time. But you
1: can't be that leads to a lot of cynicism, right? And what I've learned, okay. is, and it's like the thing that you. The thing that you realize as a business owner right, or an independent consultant or, or even <clears throat> somebody who's already been hired, right, you're constantly earning the right to have influence. Okay. And if you're not influential, um, people won't move. So like what was Dan Pink's uh, – I don't know if it's his last book, but he, he's talked about to sell as human. Right. And what he's talking about is that a teacher is a salesperson. A, uh, a doctor is a salesperson. Okay. Right? How do you get somebody to take their heart medicine every week? Right, you got to sell them on the idea that that it's important. Okay. Okay. So, so what we try to do—it's very much—I'm a huge fan and learned a ton from like Seth Godin. And, you know, you think about the whole day of permission-based marketing, and you know what what the job is. It's like—I mean, I, I run a company, right? So the fact that we have to sell is is part of it. Um, but but the sale doesn't stop at the point that somebody makes um, a decision to hire you. Right now, you have to re- recursively go through the organization, and you're constantly influencing people to act in a way that's different than maybe the, how they're acting today. Okay. You know, you need to get them to do practices that are different than what they are today. You need to get them to form teams differently than they're forming teams today. You need to get them to do technical practices that are different than the practices that they do today. Yeah. So, anytime you, wanna, you want to influence something, uh, somebody to do something differently, whether that be to hire you instead of hire somebody else or to um, implement a transformation the way that, um, that you believe will be successful versus somebody else's point of view, or even as simple as attending a daily standup meeting every day. Yeah. You've got to influence them to do that.
0: Okay. So you're going uh, through this period of of listening and trying to understand. When we say empathy, part of that is you want to express them. I hear what you're saying. I, I I know what you're feeling, but that's also giving you information that's helping you figure out how to explain the solution to them in a way that will resonate. And that's how you get to that safety aspect, right?
1: Yeah. So I wrote a I wrote a post a while ago. I called it "Getting Permission to Coach." And so, um, if you know, it's really fascinating because a lot of the things that I've learned um, through the last eight years of doing this stuff, it, it, you can, you can put a formula around it, but it, but once you do, it starts to feel contrived. Right. And what I, what, what I started to figure out is I was kind of doing a similar thing when I'd walk in and, and like I was, I was finding myself, like I'd go in and, and somebody would drop me into a room and say, okay, talk to these people. And I'm like, okay. Right. These people don't know who I am for anything. Right. They, I don't have, I've give, been given access from the outside but I don't have any permission to tell them anything about what they're doing. Yeah. Okay. But like, I generally know the failure patterns of people that are trying to do agile and usually comes down to, you know, like the three things we always talk about, right? How they're forming teams and, you know, those patterns and, you know, where backlogs are coming from in those patterns and how they're producing working tests and software in those patterns. And so what I'll do is I'll say, Hey guys, thanks a lot. You know, I really appreciate you, um, you know, letting me come talk to you. You know, tell me about the problems that you guys are having. I mean, is everything working great? Do you guys need help? Like, I mean, what's going on? And when they start, as they start explaining, right, I start asking questions. And they're not just random questions, right? I mean, they're questions about things that, um, that, that I know are often common problems. Sure. And, and, and so that's the other interesting thing, right? So a lot of times you can demonstrate empathy, not just by listening, but I walk in the door with a tremendous amount of empathy about what they're going through. Okay. And, and I know the common failure pattern, so the questions that I ask aren't random. And so, so to demonstrate empathy, right, if you walk in and, and they get the sense that you've been there and you've done that and you already understand the problem, yeah. but yet you're still willing to sit down and listen with them and understand how they express the problem, right. how the problem manifests itself for them, then what you're doing is you're establishing that, that empathy, right? They feel heard, okay, right? And people need to feel heard. And then so like generally what, what, I, what I did in the permission to coach thing is I say, based upon what they tell me, okay, I might say something to the effect of like, hey, do you mind if I go to the whiteboard and, and share some things with you? And they say, yeah. And, and what I'll do is I'll start teaching them about, what does it mean to form a good backlog and, and where does good backlogs come from and what are their characteristics and what does it mean to be part of a team and what does it mean to deliver on a regular cadence and all those things. And so I'm not telling them anything about what they need to do, but what I'm kind of doing is that based on what they've told me, I have a point of view, right? And, and so, so I educate them on, on, on basically how to fix those things, but I do it in a way that doesn't that doesn't tell them they're wrong, or it doesn't say this is the only way, right? These, these right. are my observations. That's typically a, a kind of a safe way. Okay. So what's fascinating, right? So it's, it's very much like the, the, empathy tr- or it's the empathy point of view thing. So if I've listened and I've asked really good questions, and I'm able to articulate a point of view in the way that they, they've heard me, then usually the third step is they'll say, well, okay, that's really fascinating. That's not what we're doing. How would you do that here? Right. How would you how could we do what you're talking about?
2: Right. And then
1: so what you've done is you've created a cognitive dissonance that they ask you to resolve. And then at the point they ask you to resolve it, then you have permission. Right? You've created sufficient safety so that they'll hear you. Right? because it's insufficient to just tell somebody your point of view. I mean, you have to create the conditions, the safety conditions where they ask for it.
0: So I want to ask, I want to hit on two more points before we move to the other side of the loop. Um, One of the things that you said previously um, during that that call that we had was how important it was for you to hear them express the problem in their own words. Like you might walk in thinking, I know these patterns, I've seen these, and you're just trying to find which patterns fit. But their articulation of it is very valuable for
1: you. Yeah, well, because because it's really fascinating, right? I've been doing this personally with leading agile almost eight years. And prior to that was with version one for a couple years and then was in companies. And so so you, when you've been doing this long enough across the breadth of clients that that I've been interacting with, everybody has fundamentally the same problems for the same reasons, okay? But everybody's unique and everybody you know, whether they think they're a snowflake or not, right, is, is really irrelevant. <laughs> the, the key is that they, they experience the problems differently. Okay. Right. And they have different ways of, they have different, they have, they have similar but different pains and, you know, and the, the unique way that they express the problem, the, weak, the unique way that they experience the problem. They also bring a unique disposition as to what they think the root cause is, how they'd approach solving it, right? All those things, right? All of those are things that have to be respected in the conversation. And so, so yeah, so understanding how somebody uniquely understands their situation. Right. you know, it, it, so there was a video that went around internally for a little while that was up on YouTube that was um, it really actually resonated with me. And this is way off the wall, but have you ever seen the thing where the guy's talking to his girlfriend and she has a nail in her head? Yes. You see that? Yes. Yeah. So if anybody, I don't know what it's I'll called. Find the link to it link, and put it up. Yeah. Find a link to it and put it on the post. Yeah. But it's fascinating, right? Because she's sitting there with a nail in her head, and it's obvious she has a nail in her head. And and she's expressing how she experiences the nail in her head, right? And the problems that it's causing her, and all these different things, and the guy sitting across just going, "There's a nail in your head. Maybe if you just got the nail out of your head, right?" And it, it was just like a perfect example of sometimes the problem is obvious, but but understanding how somebody experiences the problem, how they experience the solution, how they want to solve it, right? Yeah. Um, if you can't connect with that, then you don't create safety for them, okay. right? And that's what, the, that's what the, that video is really fascinating because it, it, it's a really funny way of – I mean, the guy is just absolutely not connecting with the, the woman in the scene because he's not listening to how she experiences the problem.
0: Yeah. All right. Thank you. Can we stick with the nail, You're the nail theme? Okay. Yeah. Sure. So when you were yeah, when sure, you were explaining not? this on the call the other night, you said, you know, when mm-hmm. I come in, I'm pretty sure I know what the problems are. And I yeah. was thinking about my own issues with that because I I generally feel the same thing when I'm teaching the classes. Like they start to ask a question. I already know the question. And I yeah. already know my answer. But the hard part yeah. for me is fighting myself back and saying, you know what? Just shut your mouth because maybe it's not what you think it is. Like, how do you when you walk in? how do you not be the guy who comes in with the hammer and only sees nails? Like, how do you know they're actually nails?
1: Yeah. Okay. So, so that's a, it's a fascinating thing, right? It's like, I've I've been an observer of this space for a really, really long time. And, and I've just personally decided that that I think our message is probably the right message for about 95% of the companies. Okay. Okay. And so, Um, whether I'm right or not, doesn't matter. Okay. (laughs) So, so, well, well, some bear with me here, right? No, it's, it's awesome. I I mean, that, that point of view is great. So, so I write my blog posts as if I have the right answer and I do my talks as if I have the right answer and, and I assert in the market as if I have the right answer. And, and I recognize that, that leading agile has developed the hammer. And that there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of inclination to see everything as a nail. But, but the, the thing is, is that everybody who hears me speak has the opportunity to receive that message differently. Yeah. And so if I've developed empathy with you, right, you believe that, that I understand your problem and um, I've developed credibility by establishing a point of view that resonates with you and I've created sufficient safety with you,
2: yeah. then
1: you'll probably sh- – maybe you'll show up and give us a call. And at that point, you've self-selected into our system. Okay. Right? And then you know, we go on the phone. you said, I'm a nail. And,
0: yeah. I'm a nail. I need hammering.
1: Yeah, you've identified as a nail, right? Okay. So I'm like, hey, guys, I got a hammer. I think my hammer works in like most situations, and this is really kind of a fascinating um, way you've connected my my the story about the video to the hammer and the nail thing. (laughs) But uh, I saw saw what you did there; it's kind of funny, right? So, but yeah, right. So the um, so so yeah, we're we're advertising we have a hammer, yeah, and we say these are the kinds of nails that that we hammer, and if you self-identify as one of those nails, well, then I've created sufficient safety for you. That you've given me um, a level of access that I didn't have before. Okay. Does that make sense? It
0: does. It totally makes sense. So yeah. And I really appreciate you explaining that part. Okay. So now let's let's do the other side of the loop. Is that okay? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. So this is about so, for
0: the folks who are listening. I want to set it up a little bit. If you are okay. a potential customer, this is about what you should expect to see when we come in the door. Um, and if you're somebody who's thinking about working at leading agile, this is sort of what's expected of you when you walk in the door,
1: right? Yeah. So, so I mean, anybody who's been following our stuff or have heard me speak, right? I have, a, I have a pretty strong point of view around how to approach the market. And you know, a big part of our point of view is that, is that leading an agile transformation doesn't have to be this you know, just get on the ground and figure it out as you go and just, you know, stub your toe and stub your toe and stub your toe, right? We have a, we have a kind of a method that, that we're articulating in market about how to run kind of a safe, pragmatic, um, you know, create the right conditions for agility to thrive, um, do it in as collaborative a way as you can. But there's, there's certain things that that if you're not willing to do, like I say all the time, right, there's tons of ways to build software, right? right. If, you, if you want the benefits of, of doing it in an agile way, there's certain preconditions that have to be in place. And so we can start doing Scrum and discover those preconditions as we go, right? But we know what they are. So why don't we just deal with them proactively to create um, the best chances of being successful possible? OK. Right. And again, right. Our approach isn't the only approach. It's just, you know, it's what we believe works and resonates with a certain subset of companies. And, you know, it's kept us in business for eight years. Right. Yeah. And it's, so it's cool. Right. So but but regardless, is like we have a point of view in market. OK. And so through all of the things, when people have read our blog posts and engaged with our social media, They've come and heard me speak. They've picked up the phone and called. They've invited me on site to have a conversation. Maybe we've been on site three or four times to have a conversation. At some point in time, somebody gives us access to do something or agency to do something. That's the word I was looking for. Okay. They give us agency to do something, right? So they say you have permission to come and help me with this piece of the organization. Okay. okay? So the 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 trust loop starts at the point that you have agency to go do something. And then the way that we walk through that part is that once we have agency to do something, we have to deliver with integrity to what we promised while we were building influence. Okay. So if I come in and say we're going to do – biweekly touch points, and this is how we're going to plan, and these are how we're going to measure outcomes, and this is how we're going to get metrics baselines, and this is how we're going to demonstrate improvement, and this is how we're going to tie back to the business case, and this is how you're going to know that the dollars you've spent with us are successful, right? I mean, we have all that stuff kind of mapped out at a, at a fairly granular level about how um, the typical engagement should should be run and structured. So, so we get agency to go do some things. <clears throat> our team has to operate with integrity to um, the the piece of the organization that we've been given agency to go work with.
0: Can we pause at so, integrity for a second before we move on? Yeah,
1: sure. Yeah, yeah. Because this yeah. was
0: something that you guys had to walk through and there was some stuff that you explained about it and some stuff that Dennis explained about it that, that I think is worth yeah. pausing on. So okay. how do you define integrity in this context, like the word yeah, itself? Yeah, in this
1: context, right? so integrity gets kind of thrown around as like being – Honest or being truthful, Um, you know, are you are you a high caliber person? Right. Sometimes we think of integrity as kind of a personal attribute. Um, I'm kind of using it in this context: is um, are you going to do what you said you were going to do? Right. Are are you integrated? Right. I think that's kind of the root of integrity. Right. Are you integrated? Okay. Um, with, with what it was that we came in and promised. And so we're using integrity in this context to say, okay, Mike, you've spent all this time and energy, and you've done all these talks, you've come out and spoken with me, and you've made these promises. We've entered into a contract with you, right? We're giving you permission to work with a part of our organization. So now the question becomes is, are you going to do what you said you were going to do? Right. Okay, and so so once you have permission, once you have agency, then you have to operate with integrity to the promises that you've made.
0: And and the trick for a company like this is where you and Dennis yeah. and, and you know, Chris and Jim and whoever else are going in, yeah. you are making the initial promise. There are yeah. other people that are gonna be on the ground doing the delivery. So yeah. there has to be with that integrity between it, yeah. yeah, but but there has to be that um the level of delivery has to match the level of the promise in order for the trust and the safety to be maintained. Yeah,
1: ab- absolutely, right? So so, so there's like two aspects. Just like once you have access, you have to demonstrate empathy and you have to communicate a point of view. Yeah. The two things on the other side are once you have agency to go do something – you have, to, you have to operate with integrity and you have to be competent, Okay. right? And so a lot of this, a lot of this thinking kind of came out of some of the Covey stuff around speed of trust. And yeah. a lot of it's derivative of that. But, it, I mean, it just makes sense, right? So it's like if I want somebody to trust me, so they've given me permission, I have to show up and do what I said I'm going to do. And then I have to um, be good at it, right? I have to have the skills necessary to do the work.
2: Right. And
1: then, um, and then the last piece of the trust loop is I have to get results. Okay. okay. And, um, and so the idea is, is if you've given me permission to do something and I get results, the results that we promise, right, then our level of access goes up. Uh-huh. Right, And so the idea is the way these two loops work together is that if I have access, I demonstrate empathy, um, I communicate a point of view in a way you can hear it, I'll create safety. Typically, if I create safety, then you give me permission to try something. Um, I show up, I do what I said I'm going to do. Um, I'm, I'm able, I'm competent to do what I, I said I'm going to do. And then I get the results that we, we talked about when I was doing the influencing. Then chances are you'll you'll give me more access to go do the next piece, and then I've got to go through the influence loop again, and then that will result in more agencies to right. go actually engage the organization in a different way,
0: right? Okay. So yeah. so I want to kind of stay between integrity and results and confidence for a second. Okay. Um, okay. So, one of the things that, that Dennis said when we talked about this was that integrity is, I'm, I've got it typed out, so I'm going to just read what the quote was. Integrity is not okay. delivering everything we agreed to in the statement of work, but maintaining a shared understanding throughout the execution about what's going on, what's succeeding, and where we see challenges. So, th- I just want to spend a moment on that because a statement of work is drawn up. That's what everybody wants to have happen. But if things are uh-huh. working out differently, our job is to be upfront and transparent and honest and demonstrate the competence throughout that, right?
1: Yeah, well, one of the ways that we've – you know, so, so here's the interesting thing, right? So you, you have two choices when, when you choose to, to kind of sell this kind of work, right? Um, you can go in and say, I'm going to put this many bodies on the ground, okay? So you're going to have 10 people for three months, and it's going to cost you X. And the deliverable is, did those, those 10 people show up? Yeah. Okay. Now you can have a conversation whether they are the right 10 people, whether you want to swap people out, right? Whatever. You know, there's an implicit, um, there's an implicit indicator of confidence, right? But the, basically, the idea is put 10 people on the ground, 10 people show up, you've done your job. Yeah. Um, the other thing that you can do is you can say, okay, well, I'm going to come and I'm going to train you. And I'm going to say, um, you know, I'm going to teach you guys Scrum. And, you know, the hypothesis is that once everybody knows Scrum, all this great stuff will happen. But if all the great stuff doesn't happen, I, hey, man, I just taught you Scrum. Okay. Okay. And so, and so it's true, right? You know, yeah, so I mean, yeah. there's a lot of people that have sold a lot of Scrum training and, have, and that training didn't necessarily result in better business benefits for the client. Happens, right? Yes. Um, and a lot of times, the, you know, the, the tagline is, well, they weren't really ready for it. Well, they're ready enough for you to take their dollars and, and sell them training, right? And so it's, it's interesting, right? So like what, like what we try to do, right, it's part of our engagements is we try to, um, we try to sell um, actual business transformation that results in better business outcomes. Okay. Okay. So we're connecting ourselves to the value loop. And, but, the, but the fascinating thing is, is that, is that there, there are a ton of things that get in the way. Right, it's just like it's literally like going in and saying I'm going to go build software for you, but I'm going to leverage your um, your your old mainframe system that's full of technical debt and defects and things, and we acknowledge that when we go into this together, that there are going to be things that are unexpected. Yeah. Okay. And so, so we very seldomly um, we very seldomly actually say you know, you're going to get X, Y, Z at the end of the, the engagement. What we say is that we kind of have a hypothesis we're entering into together, that if we do these things for the next four months, right. that, that this part of the organization is going to be able to deliver with greater predictability. Okay. And we can usually even say that's what this means, right? What does it mean to deliver with greater predictability? Well, they're going to be able to accomplish these kinds of things and these kinds of things and these kinds of things. And so everybody signs up to validate that hypothesis. And then what we do is, you know, so that's, we've gone through the influence loop. We get agency to go validate the hypothesis. So integrity to the model is, is very much like you would expect in Scrum. And this is very much like using Scrum to introduce Agile. There's a set of outcomes that we need to achieve every couple of weeks to know that we're making intermediate progress. There's, there's leading indicators of, um, that we're going to – the organization is going to begin operating in this new way. Okay. And so, so the integrity isn't so much about what is the scope, but it's basically like how are we going to manage the process. Yeah. And so it's very much like what Scrum's again, right? It's very much using Scrum to implement Agile, right? And it's like, it's like when you go into a release, right? Or let's say we have a year-long roadmap and we go into a release planning session. We can walk in with hypotheses about velocity. We can walk in with hypotheses about scope. We can walk in with hypotheses about the things that we're going to do. And everybody can sign off on that. The whole thing with Scrum is that once we get in, we start measuring velocity. Right. We start, we start actually looking at the performance characteristics of the team. And based upon the team's velocity, we make scope trade-offs. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. And then based upon... You know, sometimes we can thin out requirements to deliver, or you thin out the user stories to deliver a feature, thin out the features to deliver an epic, or sometimes we drop epics off altogether, or sometimes we alert that you know there's a lot of technical debt in this piece of the code. Maybe we need to pivot and go do something else if we need to be in market on time. But there's lots of ways to adapt, and so what we try to do for the trust building process is not like hey, we came in and said that we were going to be able to get X, Y, and Z to happen. Did X, Y, and Z happen? What we have to do is we have to go in to build trust and say, look, here's our hypothesis. This is kind of where we think we're going to be. And then through collaborating with our clients and going through cadences and being highly transparent and working with our clients to remove impediments and doing all those things, right? we create, we, we create constant shared understanding. And we create constant um, transparency throughout the engagement. And so the integrity isn't necessarily about um, did we get the outcome that we thought we would get? We knew that was just a hypothesis. Right. But the question becomes is did we follow the cadence? Did we follow um, the process? Did we use the, the Scrum stuff, right, that we agreed to? In order to be able to drive the transparency, and, uh, did we put the customer in position to be successful?
0: I want to pause you on this for one second because I've got to echo of yeah. somebody I used to work with in my head. Um, there's a guy that I used to work with as a coach at another company, and when it came to things like burn down charts or any kind of reporting that had to be done, he was just violently against it because he said it doesn't add to the team's ability to deliver. But
1: what he said, what was, the, what was it? It doesn't. It really doesn't to the team's
0: advance the team's ability to deliver. Like giving reports, and, giving stability. any oh, of those okay, reporting report. artifacts okay. to management. But yeah. but that's yeah. part of building that trust. Those, those types of things that, that would have been promised up front, like you're going to see burn down charts, or you're going to see velocity, you're going to see things about changes in terms of velocity, what we expect in the release. All those artifacts are a way of, of operating with integrity back to the initial promise. This is how we well, watch, not- this is how you can watch, Right.
1: It, well, there's like a couple of things that are up underneath what you just said. It's so okay. it's, it's not about the artifact. It's about how we communicate shared understanding, okay. right? It's about how we build consensus. It's about how we're transparent, right? So if you could do that in the form of a daily stand-up meeting or, you know, a retrospective or whatever, right? So it's not about any artifact that you choose to create. That's kind of the first point. Okay. Um, the second point is is that, and this is this is an interesting thing when you get in to, in, into an engagement and you know, sometimes we struggle this with, with our coaches and sometimes we struggle with it with, with our clients. And it's like you have to kind of ask yourself who is the client and what problem we're trying to solve. Okay. Right, because, because if you believe that your client is that team or those team members and there's actually somebody else in the organization that's paying the bills, Right. That's that's a little bit to the integrity thing that we talked about. So. Yeah. So if a, if a CIO had said, look, I am uh, I am hiring you guys over the next four months to um, help implement your framework within our organization with the expectation that, um, you know, we're going to base camp one and that I'm expecting these intermediate outcomes and I'm expecting this to kind of be the result. And we get on the ground and we start um, um, doing things with the team that is different than what we promised to our stakeholder.
0: Then you're not going to build
2: trust. Then,
1: w- well, more specifically, we're going to not have demonstrated integrity to the model. Right. Okay. And so, like one of like the really common things with agile coaches is that is that a lot of agile coaches are very competent which is a part of the trust loop, and they have a really strong point of view, which is part of the influence loop, but in the absence of having empathy or operating with integrity to, to specifically what we promised, then the trust influence loop starts to break down. Yeah. And so you might believe very strongly that, that you know, I'm only going to do things that are valuable to these seven people that are working on this part of the project. Product right, okay. and um and maybe even you know you've got a really strong point of view about that and you're really good at doing that, but if you're operating in an ecosystem where the mandate is broader or it's different than what your local value system is, yeah, then what you'll do is you'll erode trust, and then as you erode trust, it makes it hard, more difficult to come back and continue to influence.
2: Okay. Okay. Okay.
1: Yeah. So it's it's really fascinating because you know, I I think because so many agile coaches have been developers or project managers in the past, we tend to take a, um, a point of view that operates at that level. Yeah. And, and so that's like a lot of what we're trying to maintain focus on. Um, you know, in, in our company is to say, look, we tell a really big enterprise story and, and these are the things that we promise. And if we, um, if we show up and we coach like like everybody else coaches, right? The whole – the loop starts to break down, Yeah. right? So we've influenced telling a big story. We, we don't execute with integrity to our model regardless of how competent we are. We might be getting results that are meaningful to us or meaningful to the team, maybe even meaningful to the dev manager or the project manager. But that's not the person who gave us agency.
2: Right.
0: It's not what they bought. The person
1: who gave us yeah, the person who gave us agency is the person, you know, usually signing the checks, right? And so <clears throat> the good thing about what we do in Agile is that usually what is good at the team level results in things that are good at the executive level. Okay. Right? That's kind of – they're very congruent. Right. Um, but but maintaining that balance, right? So, so we're very much about creating the context for agility to happen. Yeah. And – and so we can be teaching Scrum all day long, but if we're not creating the context for more predictable results, right? Base camp one or sure. getting things in the market faster, base camp two, then then we're not doing what we promised. Yeah. You know? And and so so that's what we've been talking about internally a lot, especially as we grow and we we onboard new coaches and you know, we, you know, we're really big on, on our customers holding us accountable for the things that we promise, right? So we're trying to be hyper-explicit with the people that we onboard to, to help understand how this influence-trust thing starts to work, right? Yeah. And, you know, it, and it's fascinating, right? Because it's like, it's like you know, we sell by not selling, right? We sell by just educating, right? We're looping through that influence list. influence, 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 yeah. influence, influence. And then somebody usually says, well, how can we engage you to help with that, right? So then that's the ask. And then we're given agency to go do something and we, and we go through the trust loop. If, if, if we don't execute the trust loop well, right? Now, the next time we go into influence, it's not influence as much as it's selling and convincing. Yeah. Right? And what you find is that, is that as you loop through the influence, if you whiff on the trust, no matter how talented you are, you whiff on the trust piece of it, the next influence loop is going to be harder. And then if you you keep doing it, right, the influence loop is going to become a sales loop. And then at that point, you find yourself at odds with your client rather than being a partner with your client. Right, and that's... That's
0: the challenge, right so I really appreciate you walking through this. The thing that's fascinating to me is that, as you're talking through it, just as you were talking through it just now, I'm thinking about all the different layers of my life that it applies to, not just oh, work yeah. but like teaching, oh, yeah. interacting with my family members, like everything you're you're constantly going through this back and forth. It's really powerful. yeah,
1: I mean well well, that's the thing that's really cool about, and you know I got really um, I got really keyed into that when I first read the seven Habits and and I think covey is really keyed into it too, right? He wrote The Seven Habits of Highly Effective Teens. He wrote Highly Effective People, Highly Effective Families, right? It's like when you discover a truth, yeah. um, what you find is that it's generally applicable across domains. Yeah. Okay? And, you know, it's kind of like, you know, it's, you know to, just to be, you know, um, you know, to take it back to something real. You know, if you tell your wife you're going to take the guard, you know, you, you're trying to be a different kind of person and blah, 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 blah. And you commit to taking out the garbage, and you never take out the garbage, or you don't feed the dog, or you don't do whatever. Yeah, right. It's going to be really hard to convince her the next time
2: that you're going to do it.
1: You've changed, right? You're going to do it, right? So the 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 more you erode the trust side of the equation, the harder it is to be influential um, on the other side. And that puts you in the sales
2: cycle
0: with your family, which is never a good place to be.
1: Absolutely, right. So so it it all really hangs together, and. You know, so a big part of our evolution as a company is is we've gotten um, the opportunity to go and do more strategic things with clients, and we've gotten the opportunity to to really be in some really um, just really interesting engagements, um, making sure that we're always balancing both sides of that loop. And one of the things we started to do is we started to use this with not only our team but with our clients because. You know, there's things that we need them to do, yeah. right? There's things that we need them to hold us accountable for, right? To escalate if they're not, if, if, if for some reason we're dropping the ball on something.
2: Yeah. Um,
1: because these, these loops are really hard because you get on the ground with clients and, and it's like once people recognize there's help and, you know, people are going to pull you into a thousand different things in an engagement. yeah. Um, and, you know, we've signed up to do these kinds of things to achieve these outcomes within us for a specific time and cost. And but there's a there's a million other things that you can do. And so like sometimes with like the best of intentions, right? The best of intentions you get on the ground and you don't operate with the integrity. Yeah. Um and is no matter how competent you are, you don't get the results that they were expecting. And and that's what, you know, so it's almost like it's kind of like a scope management engagement is scope management part of the engagement. It's like like I can help you do these things, right? I'm here. But it's not what we promised to do. Yeah. You know? And so sometimes our you know, we we've had challenges with guys getting spread too thin on engagements because they're trying to they're trying to help too many people. Um and what happens is it sometimes it erodes um, well, our ability to execute that, according to our model.
0: That's interesting to me too, because when I did consulting work at another company, you were basically expected to burrow into the carpet like a tick. And one of the ways that you did that was Going into everything anybody would let you in into and just spreading yourself around. But this is a very much more mindful focused approach to building the trust and showing them, you know what? Keep me coming back yeah. because I'll well, deliver. I mean
1: like, you know, candidly, you know, I'm probably being too transparent here, but it's like, you know, our whole business model is around, you know, like, you know, we basically do SOWs that are like one trip around the influence trust loop. Yeah. And if we didn't do the loop through the trust loop appropriately, then then we don't necessarily expect the next trip through the influences. Right. Yeah. And so in and, and, you know, also, you know, our model is is somewhat determinant. It's like you can get to base camp one and be done. You can get to base camp two and be done. You know, we're you know, we might have a long term engagement with somebody, but we're we're the, the idea is that we're supposed to be showing progress against, you know, a, a pretty well-defined set of outcomes. Yeah and and you know sometimes things take longer right and as long as everybody's on board with why they took longer right that's okay right so that can be high integrity the the challenge is that at some point it is supposed to end and it's supposed to be handed off and and the the, the goal of what we do is to get companies self sufficient yeah and yeah so but yeah right you know it's like i i think it's not so much i think the burrowing in is is a little bit more maybe of a cynical point of view well, about it I I do think that people are genuinely trying to help, right? And they're trying to help at the point of contact, and oftentimes the point of contact isn't the executive. So it's yes. really easy. And and I think there's probably a whole another talk that you and I could do around this, but it's like it's like you know, it's like it's you know, we're trying to help somebody get, you know, from Atlanta to 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 Charlotte. But, you know, you get eight miles in and you realize you see somebody who's dying on the side of the road, right? You just desperately want to pull over and help them, right. you know, and maybe you should, right? But you need to go to your stakeholder and go, hey, there's this guy dying on the side of the road. We'll, we need to stop for a little <laughs> bit and get him help, right? Yeah. You just don't go do it, you know, and then, you know, yeah, so there's, there's probably all kinds of interesting metaphors, but it's usually comes from a really good place. Yeah. Um it's just that it's just it's just difficult, right? It's 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 difficult to hold that space. Well, I would, and I to would make sure that you're going through that side of the loop.
0: Even when I was at companies where it was the borrowing and thing, it might be cynical, but that was coming from a good place too, because it was for the good of the company I worked for. It was maybe just yeah. not directed in the right way, but it's never with malicious intent. I don't think it's always. It's just who you know. What what are you serving at that moment? Um, yeah, thank you. I really appreciate you explaining this to me. It was a massively impactful conversation and it was even better this time. So thank you for doing that. Um,
1: you, you're welcome, man. And I will just tell you just, it's like, it's really fascinating to me as we've, um, what what Leading Agile's forced me to do over the years is to take all these like really tightly packed memes that are in my head. Yeah. Things that have been just distilled and distilled and distilled through years of reading and studying and working with people and then like really just start to unpack them a little bit. Yeah. So that you translate can teach them. them to other people. Yeah. yeah, you can translate them and teach them and build models around them and stuff. And and it's it's tough. And for me sometimes it's frustrating because You know, it's like, I don't understand why people don't get certain things. But then, like, once you unpack it, you can start to explain why it's difficult. You know, we've kind of used it um, in the last couple of months to understand, like, people who aren't going to be a good fit for us long term. Yeah. You know, because, and it usually comes down to a really strong point of view, really high competence, but, you know, doesn't demonstrate empathy or act in accordance with the model. And, And so it's become kind of an interesting tool, not only to help us understand but to help us like counsel people and to help people be more successful and yeah. things like that. So it is, it's, it's, it's pretty powerful.
2: Cool.
0: Well, thank you. Um, yeah. can I ask You're you welcome. a totally unrelated question before we sign off? Yes. All right. What was the last album that you downloaded and listened to? Oh,
1: that isn't, that isn't collective um, soul. <laughs> No, well, they're, well, they're actually – they're getting ready to release a live album, and I think they've got another um, – I think they've got another studio album um, in the vault that they haven't okay. released yet. Um, uh, kind of, I've been – this is way too much information, but I've been kind of on like an 80s pop metal kind of kick. I've been listening to like watching a lot of um, – Cinderella? like Docu- documentaries <laughs> and things like that about like the 80s la scene and, okay and things. it's just fascinating me but that was kind of my coming of age time right and um and so the the album that i've been focused on is um i don't even know if i know the name of it but it's uh it's an album by slash that has like a bunch of guest singers so like you know fergie from black eyed peas oh yeah Dawn yeah and um yeah and like Ozzy sings a song and I think the guy Ian Asbury sings a song and okay um and then the guy Miles Kennedy from Alter Bridge sings a song and uh and I I can't get enough of that album I can put that album on repeat right now it's it's really kind of wild it's got some really good tunes on it
0: awesome all right well thank you I'll make sure to include a link to it I appreciate it and I hope the rest of your day is just full of nothing but peace and martinis
1: (laughs) uh you know what I don't know if it's gonna play (laughs) out that way but we'll see cool Thanks, thanks man talk to you later all right.